Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast with our senior pastor, Ben Martinez. Don't forget to check out our website at calvarychapellubbock.church. There you'll find a lot more about our mission to love God, love people, and live radically. Now here's Pastor Ben. Guys, it was about, I would say about 26 years ago in 1997, a worship leader, if you remember him, his name was Paul Belosh. And he penned a song that we sang many, many times if you grew up in church. It was a song called, Open the Eyes of My Heart. Open the Eyes of My Heart. And and, and we sang about that all the time. But if you do some research, Paul Belosh, this worship leader, actually got this from verse 18 of chapter 1 in Ephesians. And if you do have a church background, you remember singing that. The lyrics go something like this. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. We want to see you. Do you remember that? We want to see. Most of you remember that. This is from, this is from Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18. But here's what I want you to see. I want you to see the hook, the hook of the song right here. It rests upon the metaphor, open the eyes of my heart. Because most of you go, well, my eyes don't really, my heart doesn't really have eyes. And, and so he's saying, this is, this is where the hook comes in. It's by combining two organs. You go, which organs? Eyes and heart. Eyes and heart. Here's why. These organs provide a compelling symbol, ready, for commitment and relationship. For commitment and relationship. That's what he's going for. And then I started to think about open the eyes of my heart. Open the eyes of my heart. God, we want to see you. We want to see you. We want to see you high and lifted up. We want to see you in our everyday life. I started thinking, Lord, is there any place where you talked about, about your eyes being opened? And, and of course, scripture is filled with references to the opening of the eyes in the Old Testament, especially in petitions offered to God. Let me give you just one example. Daniel chapter 9, verse 18. It says, Oh my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolations and the city which is called by your name. For do we do not present our supplications before you because of our righteous deeds, but because of your great mercy. Open open your eyes, Lord. And of course, in the New Testament, we see that Jesus actually assumes the agency for opening the eyes, both spiritually and physically, to blind persons. Examples are found in Matthew chapter 9, Luke chapter 24, John chapter 9, Acts 26. For the sake of time, we can't go through those. But sometimes, Scripture joins eyes and heart metaphor. Now remember, it's very symbolic, guys. It's a symbolic, it's a compelling uh, symbol. You ready? For commitment and relationship. Commitment and relationship. So this morning, if you don't mind, I want to talk to you about opening the eyes of your heart. Symbolically, I want to talk to you about your commitment and your relationship with Jesus. You see, I believe with all of my heart that the days are short. Our time in earth is numbered. And so we need to take and take a look at our hearts and say, Lord, where is my commitment and my relationship to you? And you go, why? 
Pastor, give, give me a reason just for the sake of here's why. Because when we fully understand the riches we have in Christ, a natural byproduct is a deeper commitment to Jesus. Come on, somebody. Here's why. Listen to me. Listen. A hundred years from now, nobody's going to care what you did, how you did it. You're not even going to be remembered. I hate to tell you that. A hundred years from now, if the Lord tarries, nobody's going to go, oh, you know, Adam, I remember Adam, he was this, or I remember. They're not. They're going to go, who? But what we did for Christ is going to last forever. And how deep our commitment was. Why? Because it affects our kids, it affects our grandkids, it affects our great-grandkids, and so forth, guys. It's our commitment to Jesus. But much more sore than that, think about this. What if the Lord says, I'm going to come back soon? The trumpet is going to be sound. I'm going to call you home. I want to have that deep commitment to the Lord. You see, I don't want to be standing with one foot in the world and one foot in Christianity. Why? Because that's hard to walk, isn't it? We can't walk this way. In the same way, spiritually. Spiritually. So what does Paul do? Guys, if you're taking note, in the first 14 verses... Paul talks to the Ephesians about God. This is what he does. And now he switches gears, and now he's going to talk to God about the Ephesians. This is what's cool. So let's recap what we learned last week. By way of reminder, if you recall, we talked about how wonderful our amazing six-story high-rise, spiritually speaking. That's what we did. And all it is is our position in Christ. This is how God sees us. But you might be here wondering, well, what is my position in Christ? What does that mean? Here's what it means. Every one of us as a believer has been placed in an eternal position before God. God has reconciled us back to himself. You understand at one time we were enemies with God. We, we were not for God. We didn't go looking and honor God. And in his way, he reconciled us back to him. And we're no longer his enemies. We are now considered his friend. Now, all these things are from God who reconciled himself through Christ, and he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Think about this. Our old position has been exchanged for a new one. The one thing the enemy wants to do in your life, you ready? He wants to have you doubt your identity in Christ. You see, he doesn't want to steal your identity. He just wants you to doubt who you are in Christ. He wants you to... Guys, think about it. The book of Ephesians is radical. It changes the way we think. It changes who we are. You see, the word of God declares to you and I, we've been made a new creation. God made that. Our spiritual birth placed us in a new position. And we're now identified with Jesus Christ. And this is true of every one of us who has opened up our heart and invited him inside. We did our series in the book of Matthew that was, he was calling us to be a disciple, to be a fully devoted follower of Christ. 
Listen, can I just say this to you? Can I admonish you for just a second? God didn't save you just to save you. He saved you to use you and bless you and, 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 and reconcile more to him. He gave you giftings that will blow your mind. But sometimes we get so caught up in who we were and the things that we failed and what we said and didn't say and we forget who we are positionally in Christ. We talked last week, if you recall, how chapter 1 opens with a beautiful Jewish-style poem. And the key thought in this chapter is the wealth of blessings you have as a Christian, spiritual blessings that are ours because we're in Christ. Think about this. Could you imagine right now all of the spiritual blessings in the heavenlies are yours? Yours. And you're still walking around poor. Oh, wait, 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 what do you mean? It's the same thing that we talked about, Hetty Green. Do you remember Hetty? Was such a miser that she died a, a gazillionaire, if you will, right now, because she didn't realize or have or, or, or grasp or appropriate the riches she has. And it's the same thing for us. It's the same thing for us. Now, if you recall, it was so amazing last week because we studied six operative words or phrases that helped us change the way we see ourselves as believers. So I've got to stop myself at this point in our Bible study and ask you, how do you see yourself? How do you see yourself now after realizing that, that Paul, as you, as a believer, now again, here's what happens. We look in the mirror, if we can be honest in church, we look in the mirror, we go, I don't see what Paul sees. I don't see heavenly, wait, 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 let's go back, Lord. Lord, you told me that, well, let's use some of the, let's use some of the phrases that we talked about. Let's use some of the phrases. You go, well, where are they? Well, it says he chose us and him before the foundation of the world. So you're looking in the mirror and you go, hey, you were chosen before the foundation of the world. Before the cross, before anything was ever formed, he looked at you and said, that one's going to love me. This one's going to love me. Yes. He chose you. Wow. You go, what else? He predestined you uh, to adoption as his sons. He says, that's going to be my son. I'm going to adopt him into the family. I'm going to reconcile him. They're all, we're all going to be one big, Jew and Gentile, we're all going to be one big family. Who's up for adoption? You go, I am. I am. That's what he's saying. He's saying. Now, here's what I love. You look at the mirror, you go, why would anyone want to adopt me? People don't know who I am. If they really knew who I am, they'd kick me out of the church. If people really knew who I am, I wouldn't have any friends. If people knew who I am, God goes, I know who you are. And I love you anyway. And I'm not adopting you to go, oh, well, I want more in my family. Listen, I've got, I've got a five-bedroom mansion. I'll adopt you. That's not what he says. He goes, I love you. This is what he says. This is what, now listen, in the mirror, guys, in the mirror. It says, in him, in him, we have redemption through his blood. You've been redeemed. You've been redeemed. But the enemy of your soul comes back and says, look what you did in the past. Look how horrible you acted. What a mess you are. God could never love you. And the Lord says, go tell him to jump off a cliff. Because he says, as a believer in him, you've been redeemed by his blood. In other words, this blood's for you. This blood's for you. 
He says, he has been made known the mystery of his will, the mystery of reconciliation, the mystery of the church. Before that, everybody was like, I don't get it. I don't get it. And he says, let me, let me show you. Let me show you. Is it the mystery? Doesn't that blow you away? Why? Because when you got a believer, another believer, there's something. You, you come from two different walks of life. You would never have anything in common, but when you're believers, you're brothers, you're sisters. It's amazing. And in your heart, you're like, oh, it's my brother. It's my brother Francis over there. Yeah. We look a lot alike. You go, no, you don't. No, we don't. But let me say this. Francis is a nice guy, and he's got a great personality. But if I didn't know Francis, and Francis wasn't a believer, and I wasn't a believer, we pretty much would not hang out. Or talk to each other. He'd be in the grocery store. I'd see him. Oh, look at that guy. But something happens, guys, when we're redeemed. We're like, oh, wow. When we have this mystery, we see this. But it also says, in him, we have obtained an inheritance. We have obtained an inheritance. Now, I'm going to talk a little bit more about that because Paul's going to bring that up in his prayer. So I want you to keep keep an open mind about this. But I love the last one. He says, having believed, how many of you believed? You go, I do. He says, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. You were sealed. You were sealed. Pastor, I sin though. Sometimes I have a bad attitude. Sometimes I make a wrong choice. You know what I love about something that's sealed? He doesn't unseal you. He, he just loves you enough to say, hey, listen, I know you've blown it. Why don't you confess that and, and repent and, and come back? You see, many of us have, a, have sometimes a wrong idea of God that he's got his arms crossed like this going, do it one more time. Do it. <laughs> Try it. Oh, there it is. Unseal him. Holy Spirit, get out of him. This is, no, that's no place. He, no. We think that, that God is this, this big spiritual judge that's got a spiritual billy club that wants to knock us over the head. Now, I don't sit there and say, you guys go out and sin. Of course not. That's not our nature anymore. That's not our nature. But sometimes we do. Sometimes, married men, you get angry with your wives. Now you, Joe, you're, you're good. Yeah. And now Beverly's hitting you like this, like, yeah, right. I know none of you women are stubborn in here. I know that. You're not, it's not, not me. Okay, church is over. After that, she needs to be up here preaching. We're not worthy. She's perfect. Of course not. We all sin, but he doesn't unseal us, does he? It's the seal of the Holy Spirit going, oh. Oh, listen, someone packaged it like this, and I love this. Listen to, he says, he blessed us immensely. He chose us unconditionally. He adopted us, adoring us. He redeemed us graciously. He forgave us completely. He showed us grace lavishly. He revealed his mystery wisely. He granted us an inheritance eternally. He sealed us permanently He guaranteed our salvation personally. Isn't that cool? This is what he did. This is what he did. Now, the purpose of the book of Ephesians, the first three chapters, is to get deep in your soul who you are in Christ. 
Because he's going to tell us in chapters 4, 5, and 6 how we should behave. How we should be witnessing. How we should be loving people. How we should be loving people back to life. How, you ready? Come on, somebody. Ooh, I feel it in my soul. How we should be loving the unlovables. Amen. Yeah, not an amen time. That's not a place for an amen. You go, why? Because that's the hardest thing to do is to love those that are unlovable, aren't they? Oh, those ones that rub you, rub you the wrong way. I'm not going to love them. I'm going to take a ruck and throw it on. I just love them. And God goes, I want you to love them. You know what I found about, about people who he's calling you to love? It's usually in your workplace, isn't it? It's usually somebody who's, oh, I called you to love them. Why, Lord? Why can't I pray like David? David said, knock out their teeth. And God says, hey, are you my kid? Yeah. I want you to love them. I want you to love them. He wants us to love that. And, 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 and really, here's the key. Listen, to love each other in this church, easy thing. Easy thing. Okay? I don't know Jeremiah that well. Been coming just a few weeks. Love the dude. It's just, this is how, it's easy. He's easy to love. Right? But the, but the ones that are hard, those are hard to love. Those are hard to love. And God is calling us to do that. Church, do you know what we can do in our city? If you were to adopt, God, this is who I am. I need to go out and I need to love the unlovable. I need to witness. I need to share. I need to do good. Yesterday, I had to do a funeral for the family that had visited two weeks ago. And Norma and Larry showed up at the funeral. You go, what's the big deal? Norma and Larry don't know these people. They don't know these people. But the love of Christ in her heart was compelled to go and, and, and just, just be there. Just be there. Because they knew, they knew exactly what loving like Christ means. You know what it means? You ready? And this is way off my notes, so this is free. This is, I'm not even going to charge you for this one. It means being inconvenienced, doesn't it? I just want to go home and sit in my recliner. I've had a hard day. I'm busy. Someone calls you, hey, can we have a cup of coffee? I'm really struggling. <sighs> right now? 7.45, i got my pajamas on. You sure right now? Can you make it till tomorrow? I can do it. It, it means being inconvenienced, doesn't it? Showing the love of Christ. It means, you ready? It means letting somebody get that parking space that you've been waiting for for five minutes. It means letting somebody cut in front of you. What does it mean to win somebody to the Lord, to love somebody like Jesus? It's compassion, it's grace, it's mercy, but it's inconvenient in our lives. Because when you're going to disciple somebody, when you're going to walk with somebody, it's 24-7. It's 24-7. Think about it. Think about this. Let me see if I can illustrate it this way. When a little baby begins to walk, 
you know, when their head is too big and they don't, they, you know what I mean, for their body and they can't get their balance. It's the most exciting thing for us, isn't it? Oh, he walked, look, he walked. He took three steps. Boom. When he falls, none of you go, oh, I can't believe this. Are you from your father's side? You can't even walk two steps. We don't do that, do we? We pick them up and go, okay, try again. And they walk and they walk. But see, you're there every step of the way. And when you're discipling and you're loving somebody, every step of the way, they're going to stumble and fall. And you don't go, oh, well, if you would read the Bible like me, you wouldn't do You pick up and you go, come on, I know you're, let's go. And eventually, you can say, hey, there you go. And they're walking. And then they take somebody and they disciple somebody. And they take somebody and disciple. And guess what? All of a sudden, Healthy sheep beget healthy sheep. That's what he's talking about. That's what he's talking about. Now that was free, not even in my notes. The Lord bless you. Let's move on. So Paul, in the first 14 verses, he moves from the praise of the blessing. Everybody understand how how blessed you are in Christ? Give me an amen. Amen. How blessed we are. He moves from that, and now he's going to pray for you. That you, that you and I would open the eyes of our understanding. Some of your translations might say, open the eyes of our heart. Why? So that we might be open to know the hope of our calling, what the riches of our inheritance is as the saints, and the power, everybody say power. power. Say it again. Because if you get this, it's going to change your life. The power of God available to us in the Christian life. You see, sometimes we'll pray for somebody to stop doing drugs. We'll pray for somebody to stop watching pornography. We'll pray for somebody to stop gambling, so forth, so forth, so forth. What we need to pray is they would understand the power they already have. That's, he's going to get to that later. God, if you could just see the strength in them. Wow. Oh, you Ben, are you saying it's wrong to pray? No, it's not wrong to pray that they stop doing these things, but they need to know the power they have. You need to know the power you have as Christ in you so you can live victoriously. So when the devil comes and says, hey, you want to go party? You want to go? Listen, we're over here. You go, that's empty. That's empty stuff. I know where that leads. Nah. Well, what's wrong? I mean, we used to... What happened? She discovered the power of God inside her. Okay, it's going to get good. It's going to get good. So let's jump in. You ready? Paul's praying. Paul's praying. Ephesians 1.15. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. Now, whenever we see a therefore... We need to see what it's there for. So we have to go back to the previous verses and begin looking for the application. If you're taking note, jot this down. Whenever you see a therefore, that's application. This is He's going to begin to give us an application. Okay, So you need to see that. He says, because I'm assuming every one of you in this church understands the riches you have in Christ. All the spiritual blessings in the heavenlies, you get that. He goes, because you get this, He says, man, I'm praying for you. Therefore, ever since I first heard. So Paul is saying, ever since I've 
first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere. Oh my goodness, we need to unpack this verse. Why? Because this is foundation in our lives. This is foundation. How so? In order for you and I to reach our city, Lubbock, Texas, in order for you and I to reach those, in order for you and I to reach those that are far from Christ, for you and I to be a witnessing church, a loving church, you ready? We must have a strong faith in the Lord. You have to. You have to. Now, notice what I said. I didn't say you needed to be a theologian. Well, let me talk to you about, uh, you know, all of it. You, you don't, you just need to have a strong faith in the Lord. Okay? You must love God above everything else. You with me? Second, jot this down. You must have a love for God's people. You must have a love for God's people. You must have a love for the church. I didn't get an amen on that. Okay, thank you. Appreciate that. But you realize what I'm saying. In God's church, there are a lot of strangies. Right? There are a lot of weirdos. God's family is crazy weird. A lot of misfits. Crazy. But we're called to love each other because, because of that. Because you look in the mirror and you go, I'm a misfit. I should be on the misfit island, you know, where all the misfit toys are. That's me. I mean, guys, when you love God, a natural byproduct in your life is that you're going to love his people. Even if they don't look like you or act like you, you're going to love them. Tell me why. Because they love God. They love God. They love God. So Paul writes, ever since, therefore. So what does he do? He connects the prayer from the preceding blessing. Paul's thanksgiving for God's plan of salvation. He says, in Christ, verses 3 through 14, overflows in what? Into prayer. This is what he It's an overflow. He's like, oh my gosh, look at you. Look at you. I'm not sure if Paul got with the other disciples and he says, you know, man, I've been to Ephesus and those people are just really weird in Ephesus, man. And there's one lady there. I mean, sheesh. She drives me crazy. I tried preaching the gospel and she says this and this. What do you think, Peter? I don't know. Paul says, I love them. They're strange. He looks beyond and he sees the heart of Christ in them. He looks beyond that. He doesn't go, oh, this and that, this and that. He looks beyond that. In order for you and I to reach those that are far from God, we need faith. We need faith. Look at your Bibles, guys. Verse 15. Circle that word for faith. Because that's one of the things that if your heart is hard and you have a cynical to those in the body of Christ, I would ask you to do a heart check and start with faith. Start with faith. Why? Because the word faith here I found is very interesting. It's made up of two words. It's, 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 it's where we get the word believe, but it's, it's made up. This word right here is pistis and pitheo. Pistis and pitheo. You go, what's that mean? Well, the Greek word pistis means persuaded to have reliance in Christ for salvation. So you have to settle the fact that you're saved. You have to settle that. The second one is, is pitheo, and it means to be convinced with confidence. 
If you're going to be a witnessing church, if you're going to be a loving church, if you're going to go and be inconvenienced for the glory of God, you have to have a reliance upon Christ for your salvation, and you have to be convinced with confidence. Okay, Lord, I got this. This is who I am. This is who I am. Well, how do I get faith? How do I get this pisteo? How do I get this pithio? How do I, how do I do this? Well, the Bible tells us that faith cometh by hearing and hearing the word of God. The word of God. There are a lot of distractions in our world today. Your phone, your tablet, your TV. There's a lot of distractions, guys. But my encouragement to you and to me was to be in the word of God so that we grow in faith. Be in the word of God. Be in the word of God. Well, what else do I need to do? The Bible says you need to love. Okay? And if you have a pencil handy and you're not afraid to write in your neighbor's Bible, go ahead and circle that for them. Because Paul employs the word agape. Agape. And this is a love that we get unconditional. This is unconditional. Everybody say unconditional. Unconditional. You know what that means? Unconditional love is that you love somebody with no conditions, no strings attached. That's how you love them. Unconditional. But it also means affection and benevolence and love and charity. And I find it interesting that Paul uses this word ten times. Agape. Agapeo. And he uses it in 1 Corinthians 11 times. 11 times. You go, what do you mean? Here's the thing, guys. We need to love people with no strings attached. I love you. I love you. Agape. It's the same way. Men. Men. This is the husbands. This is the same word that Paul employs later on in this in chapter six. He says, "You need to agape your wives. You need to love them unconditionally." We can get that at a different time. We'll talk about that because they were like, "Oh man!" If you remember last week, the Siamese twins we learned were grace and peace. Grace and peace. Paul always says grace and peace. Well, these are, again, these go hand in hand. Faith and love. Faith and love. Faith and love. Both of them at the same time go hand in hand. Paul writes, again, let's look at it. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your great faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, he says, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. I think that's so sweet. Wouldn't you love the Apostle Paul to be praying for you? But I'll give you one better. The Lord Jesus in heaven right now is interceding for you. He's going, you see Raina? I'm praying for her. I'm praying for her. She's going to make it. But I'm right there. See, the Lord Jesus is praying for you. He's praying for you. And I love that Paul says, listen, I've never stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you consistently. Guys, let's take a step back and let's look at our walks. I want to be like Jesus. I want to be more like him. Am I, um, am I praying for people? Am I really praying for people? And am I thanking God for them? Am I thanking God for them? Am I thanking them not because what they can do for me or not do for me, Am I thanking God for, for those that, I mean, I mean, this is Paul. He says, man, it's the Ephesian church. Been there three years. I got to know people. And I have not stopped thanking God for you. 
As a matter of fact, I pray for you constantly. Constantly praying for you. What's my prayer? What's his prayer? Well, notice he starts in verse 17. What's my prayer? That I thank that the God of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, here's his prayer, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding be enlightened that you may know what the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power? Your attention, please. Notice what Paul prays. I'm telling you right now, in the Ephesian church back in this day, they had people who were struggling just like you and I. They had people who had doubts. They had people who just struggled in their walk with God. There were probably some men in the Ephesian church that were lusting. There were probably some crooks in the Ephesian church struggling to go, Lord, I'm just trying to walk with you. There were probably some folks just like us who doubted who God was. I don't know, Lord, I'm struggling with you. I want to hear from you, and I feel like I'm in a desert. Paul realizes that it's not necessarily I need to pray for this, Because I know if I pray for the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, those things can be resolved. Y'all not getting it. You're not getting it because it's like, wow. We gather together as a church and we pray. And yes, we lift up, Lord, please. And we pray for healing and you go, amen. And we pray for those that are struggling with drugs and we pray for those that are struggling in their walks with God. But what Paul goes, he says, listen, here's my prayer for them. Here's my prayer for the Ephesian church. Ready? He says, I am praying for the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Here's what he's saying. The more you know him, the less you're going to be tempted to do those things that are not pleasing to him. Come on, somebody. That's good preaching. That's good preaching. Here's why. Think about this. He's asking the Holy Spirit. He'll give you wisdom and insight so that you could grow in the knowledge of him. Can I tell you one of the most frustrating things that we experience is we're not growing. I want to grow deeper with him. God, show me. Show me. You see, Paul makes this request in order that the church may gain a deeper insight and understanding in the knowledge of God. What for? So that you and I can comprehend the things of God and what God wants us to share with people. Walk with God. You see, it's not that we're walking around holier than thou. Look at me. I go to Calvary Chapel. I'm just, I have a deep walk with God. How about you? That's not it. It's that you walk, oh, Lord, thank you. Listen to me. You can look beyond someone's physical appearance to the brokenness of their heart. That's what Paul's saying. We can look beyond a physical appearance and say, oh man, I'm I'm praying for you. I'm praying that you would know God even closer. Even closer. He says, I'm praying that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened. Everybody see that? This is to say that the Lord 
has removed their spiritual blindness, giving them the ability to comprehend and appreciate the things of the kingdom. Can you imagine? It's like, wow, the eyes and understanding. You see, he gives that when you first got saved. The scales fell. You went, I need Jesus. (laughs) I need the Lord. I'm not going to make it without him. And you open up your heart and you get saved. And you go, I'm saved. I'm saved. Saved. Christian. Saved. Born again. Yes. Same thing. But he doesn't want you to stop there. He wants you to continue to grow and in in, in be enlightened. And he says, let me pray for this. You ready? I'm going to pray for the hope of his calling in your life. His calling. The hope of our calling is direct. Listen, it's directly connected with our future inheritance. We have an external home waiting for us in heaven. If I'm your enemy, I would want to create doubt of that home. I would want to create doubt. Well, you're not worthy to go. You haven't been a good little boy or girl. You're not worthy. You're past. You did this. Not even your past. Your present. Paul says, no, no, no. Listen, you need to, you need to see. Ooh, the hope. I have. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. What would be the benefit of, of, of me knowing that I have an external home waiting for me in heaven? I won't have to strive. It's already done. And it frees me up to love people. I just love people. What happens when you die? I go to heaven. That's why Paul wrote, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. He, he understood this. He understood this. So why does the enemy create doubt? Why does the enemy create doubt? Because he wants us to take part. Oh, I worked for my salvation. I did a little bit of this. I did this. I did this. No, we need to put that to bed. If you are in Christ, the hope of your calling is you have eternal home already. You have the hope. When you close your eyes and take your final, you're going to open them and you're glorious with the Lord Jesus in heaven. In heaven. In heaven. And, and I love that Paul's going to break this down a little further, but let, let's, let's just, it's, it's so much here. I want to back up a bit and talk about what it means to open the eyes of our heart. Okay? See, Paul is praying. You guys picture Paul praying. He's praying that God will give us spiritual wisdom and insight so that we grow in the knowledge of God. How do we grow? You ready? He wants us to grow in him by experience. By experience. He wants us to experience who God is. There's a lot of ways we can experience God, but let me tell you this. There's one way that's not real popular. It's by suffering. It's by suffering. Several years ago, we got the diagnosis that my wife had breast cancer and that it could potentially spread and she could die. That news, guys, that news, again, it, 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 it prompted my wife to walk closer to Jesus. She grew by experience. There will be times in our lives when we will have to suffer these things. This world is rotten. There's disease. There's all this stuff. He wants us to know him by experience. 
And so what Paul is praying for you today is that your hearts would be flooded with light and you would understand the confident hope that he's given to those that he called. Here's your hope. Here's your hope. You have a God who created universes, not just a milk vast amount of his power is so great and he's walking with you and he's blessing you and he loves you and he has all this and he's saying hey listen here's the thing you're going to be safe i got this heaven waiting for you you with me and we still struggle because the enemy whispers if you would have been a better mom if you would have been a better dad if you would have done this if you would have done not done if you would have just this 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 and so we get depressed and we're going yeah he's right he's not right This is who you are. He wants their hearts flooded, flooded with light so that we can understand the riches we have in Christ so that we can go out and minister to the... Listen, when you have something in abundance, you want to give it away. Why do you want to hoard it up? Why do you want to hoard it up? You have the... I have a lot of riches. What are you going to do with that? I'm going out to the world. Hey, you got to have this too. You got to have this too. Please don't be hoarders of God's riches. Please don't be hoarders like like Hetty Green where you have all this money but you won't tap into it and you won't give to anybody else. And you'll allow your kid's leg to be cut off because you're so busy looking for a free clinic. Spiritually speaking, you're all... Man, I've got to tell somebody about Jesus. I've got to wait. Listen. I've got a lot of riches. God's given me, he's blessed me so much. I love the fact that Paul gives us two amazing reasons that we should do this. We should go out and reach those that are far from Christ. You know, what? you know why? Because he says, first of all, God is our inheritance. Listen, guess what you get when you die? Guess what you get when you're alive? God, that's your inheritance. You get God. Let the world have all their stuff. You get God. But not only that, the Bible says that we are his inheritance. And so often think we high-five each other and we're so blessed that God is our inheritance. However, in this verse, Paul suggests, look at it, that we're also God's inheritance. You're God's inheritance. Can I tell you? Nobody messes with God's inheritance. Let me give you a simple illustration. You're sitting at your home. There's a knock on the door. Nobody knocks anymore. They use the doorbell. But let's just say he knocks. You go to the door and you see it's the devil and his demons. You're like, oh, you know what you do? You're God's inheritance. You go, Lord, it's for you. And the Lord comes to the door and says, what do you want? Oh, we didn't know you were here. Exactly. Why? Because he's not going to let anybody get to you. Now, the things that you go through, come on, somebody. The things that you go through have to go through the Father first. And if their father filtered, you go, okay, Lord, help me to learn. Help me to grow. Everybody say grow. grow. Say it again. He's called, he's called for us to grow, to grow in him. We never stop growing. Let me give you, let me, let me sound real, um, um, theol- like a theologian. Let me sound real, you know, let me sound real, real smart. It's called progressive sanctification. Doesn't that sound real smart? Make me look smart. It just means you're growing to be like Christ and, and, and you won't graduate until you die, until you're glorified, glorification. But you're going to grow like him. Here's the point. Let me see. You go, Ben, I'm not sure if I'm growing. Are you different today than you were last year? Have you grown more this year? That's the key. 
Do you have a deeper walk with the Lord? Is your heart, does your eyes water up when you read the scriptures? Does your heart break when you think of the millions of people who are dying today that are going to go to hell? Does it break? Are you hurting? Lord, if you could use me, if you could use me. I'm I'm here. The the Lord says the the harvest is plentiful. The the laborers are few. Send me, Lord. Send me. Send me. Guys, Paul says that we fully grasp the hope of his calling. The hope of his calling. Calling or called is used in reference to salvation in, in, in two different senses. There's a general call. Right? The gospel goes out to people. Jesus used this when he said, many are called, but few are chosen. The invitation goes out to everyone. He says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. But many ignore that invitation or make up excuses when they cannot respond. It's like when you're invited to a party and and they ask you to RSVP. They want you to go to the party. They're inviting you. And you say, yes, two will be in attendance. And you send it back. But there are a lot of people who get the who get the invitation to be with Jesus forever, and they go, "Eh, come on, church, you know what we do." I'll get to it in a, I'll get to it in a little bit. I'll get to hey, hey, honey, did you send out that RSVP? No, I thought you did. No, I did. Where is it? It's in the stack of I don't, huh? Well, they'll know I'm coming anyway. No, they won't. The Lord says you need to RSVP. RSVP. And here's the point. When you RSVP and you send it off, you don't worry about it anymore, do you? Oh, did they get it? I don't know if they got it. I don't know. Are we still welcome? I don't know. Why don't you call? Call them, call them and see if we're still... Is it okay? Did they get... You send it off, you say two are coming, and that's it. And then you wait for the party. It's the same way in Christianity, guys. When, 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 when your hope of your calling is already in heaven, it's already, you're already up there. It's in. Okay. Amen. So what do we do down here while we're waiting for the party? What do we do? Oh, we share the riches of Christ. Guess why? Because the party, everybody's invited. Everybody's invited. Hey, you're invited to a party. Cool. What party is it? Let me tell you, it's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. He's got a place for you in heaven. Do you want to RSVP? Okay. And what does that person do? Share the riches of Christ. That's what Paul's trying to tell us, okay? But just like some of you in a late night Ginsu knives order, right? When you're, when you're late night shopping, what do they say? But wait, there's more. There's more in the scripture. You ready? Verse 19. That what is exceedingly greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he worked in Christ, which he raised him from the dead, and he seated him at the right hand of the heavenly places. Now catch what Paul is saying, church, that we as Christians may know the immeasurable greatness of his power available to those who believe. That is amazing. This power of God, which Paul is speaking about, is the very power that employed when He raised Christ from the dead. That's the same power available to you. 
I've got power, power, wonder working. Right? That's the same power. Listen, God desires to employ this awesome power on our behalf for our spiritual benefit and for the accomplishment of his good purpose. We want to live victorious as Christians. We want to, listen, listen, let me, let me just say this. I don't want my Christian life to be a roller coaster. I'm up, I'm down. I'm up, I'm down. I'm another, <laughs> one of those roller coasters, right? I'm upside down. Here's how I want my life. I want the power of God so that I have a steady grow, a steady climb. Yes, Lord. Oh, yeah, there's going to be valleys at time, but I'm just, okay, Lord. This, this, this is what he's trying to get. This is what he's trying to get at. The Apostle Paul is praying, and it's God's desire that we may know. You know what that word know means? That we may experience and rely upon the power, this awesome power. The same power that raised Jesus from the grave lives in us. That's the same power. In everyday life, everyday life. How many of you are tapping into that power before you go to work? God, fill me with your spirit. I have this power. I want to I want to live victoriously with you at work. I want to live victoriously. You might you, Listen, your job, listen to me. Your job is a mission field. There are people who are coming in that need Jesus desperately. Have that power. Lord, here you go. Here you go. Share some of those riches at your job. Share some of those riches. Then Paul does something amazing. He explains it even more. Look at verse 21. Far above all principality and power, might and dominion, that every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one that is to come, he put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. If Jesus is the head, then the community of Christians make up his body. And here's the idea. The idea is the fullness of him is probably connected to the manner in which Jesus filled his church with his presence and his blessing. Quote David Guzik, that's what he wrote. We are seated positionally with him in the heavenlies. Where we have power, where we have peace, and where we have victory. Of course, all these blessings are, well, they're really only for those who meet the conditions set forth in verses 1 and 2. Note that Paul writes to the living saints, not the dead ones. People who have put their faith in Christ, these are saints. These are set-apart ones. And they have experienced God's grace and are now enjoying God's Peace. Nowhere does the Bible teach that the church uh, makes people saints. Only God can make a sinner a saint. We talked about that last week. And the sinner must become a saint while he's still alive. Because after the death is the judgment, Hebrews 9.27. So think about what he's saying. Here's his prayer. His prayer is that you would your heart would open and that you would see him. You would experience him. Listen, church, can we agree? I've read the Bible and incredible stuff happened. God moved mightily. I want to see that today. I want to see that today. 
In the book of Acts, they sat there and the doors flew open and a mighty rushing wind came in and everyone was speaking in tongues and it was great revival. I don't want to just read about it. I want to experience it. I want to experience it. Do you want to experience that? You see, church can't be just like, well, we got a church. Amen. Hurry up, Pastor. Can't wait to go to Rosa's. Oh, he made me say words today again. Okay. That's not church. Not church. Kevin and go, wow, Lord, your word is alive. I want to see. I want to see something happen. I want to, this is good. This is okay. Open the eyes of my heart. God, open the eyes of my heart. I want to, I want to see you. Open the eyes of my heart. Verse 18. Open the eyes. God, God, listen, listen. The Lord Jesus, the Father, God, you, um, that the Spirit gives wisdom and revelation of knowledge and the eyes of understanding. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. I want to see you in my workplace. I want to see you in my home. I want to see you in my neighborhood. I want to see this place. I want to see this place filled up. Open the eyes of my heart. But I want to see you high and lifted up. This is the Lord. Now, we've talked about a lot of stuff, and as we close... Here's what I want to do. We, we're, we're, we, we finished chapter one, and we barely got into it. And I'm just like, man, and I got to shoot straight with you. I don't even feel like I'm doing this justice. It's so deep. It's so deep. But think about what God is doing, and think about how the enemy wants to rob you. He wants to rob you because he doesn't want you to know the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you every single day. And he walks with you. And he talks with you. Okay, I'm going to step on your toes. Permission to step on toes? Yeah, only half of you are like, don't step on my toes. <laughs> if the Holy Spirit lives in us, and the same power that raised Jesus from the dead walks with us victoriously, come on somebody. We have grace, and we have peace, and we have faith, and we have love. Okay, I'm going to step on your toes. Ready? Why do we walk around so bummed? Oh, man, I can feel, the, I can feel you guys staring me down already. Like, this is the last time I come to this church. Is it not true? We walk around so bummed. We're like, How are you doing? I'm a Christian. We're the Christian or aren't we? How are you doing? Great, I guess. You want to be a Christian too? And look like you? No. Why do we tell me why we do that, church? Because we allow the enemy to come in and rob us of what the word of God is telling us. Paul, under the power of the Holy Spirit, thought so so much about this. And he says, Man, God chose you. He chose you. He predestined you. He said, man, I've got a house. Do you want to come live here? He adopted you. He redeemed you. Oh, man. Oh, oh, oh by the way, he gave you and oh, he sealed you. He sealed you. He sealed you. And now I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray that you understand that. I'm going to pray that your eyes of your heart are open so that you can live victoriously. But wait, there's more. But you'll have to come back next week in chapter 2. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great love for us. Lord, we ask that you open the eyes of our heart. We want to see you. 
we want to see you. Father, thank you that true blessings exist in the eternal realm and the heavenly places. Lord, help us to grasp that. While physical blessings can come and go, blessings in Christ remain forever. So open our hearts. In the beautiful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 I believe it's safe to say that we are living in an ever-changing world that is aggressively trying to eliminate God from every aspect of life. Would you agree? As a matter of fact, listen to this. I read this statement this week. The quote goes like this. A growing number of people, millions worldwide, say they believe that life definitely ends at death, that there is no God, no afterlife, and no divine plan. Unquote. One of, I think, the greatest movements to eliminate God started in 1962 when God and prayer were asked to leave the schools. We don't want God here anymore. Would you please leave? Now, it seems like everywhere we look, people want a world without God. Don't talk about God. Don't bring him up. And then something happened that I believe really illustrates what Paul wants to communicate to us this morning. You go, what's that? Well, I'm not sure if you are a football fan or not. And even if you're not, you've probably heard of a fella by the name of Damar Hamlin. Damar Hamlin, it was a Monday night football game. And Damar Hamlin had just made a normal tackle. Like, like we've seen many, many times. If you grew up playing football, you know the same thing. Well, Damar Hamlin, if you haven't seen the video, stood up for just a second, was about to go back to the huddle, which then he collapsed right there on Monday night live TV, and he suffered cardiac arrest. It was a very frightening and scary moment for everyone watching. You see, DeMar's heart stopped at an instant, and he laid there on the field, dead. No, no, Pastor, they didn't say he died. No, 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 he did. You see, for 10 minutes, they sat on the field trying to revive DeMar Hamlin. That's why, if you look at, if you saw it live or that you went back, you saw big grown men crying on the football field. They saw no life in this man. You could see that. Ten minutes, DeMar had no pulse, had no heartbeat. You could see the reaction of all, not just a few. You understand, when, when a player gets hurt, they, hey, get up, bro, you okay? Everything's all right? Yeah, he's hurt, but, but he, he's going to either walk off the field or they'll... They were on their knee... And you could see, they knew. They knew. After 10 minutes of CPR and the defibrillator, Damar Hamlin went from being dead to now alive. 
Can you imagine, for half a moment, seeing your buddy, your teammate, a brother, unresponsive for 10 minutes? You see, a minute seems very long. Could you imagine 10? Well, all of a sudden, they get a pulse and they take him off the field. We know he's alive, but he doesn't give us the thumbs up like, I'm going to be okay. This is a solemn situation. We all find out later that he's in critical condition for a couple of weeks. And I don't know if you know this, but just this week, DeMar Hamlin made a video of his recovery. Of his recovery. Now, two things amazingly happened that night. DeMar made history on one of the biggest stages in the world, Monday Night Football. His journey from death to life for all the world to see. And in a world that has aggressively tried to eliminate God, we saw revival in the land. The whole world bent the knee to offer prayer to God on behalf of Damar. It was amazing to watch. On one end of the spectrum, we've persecuted those professional athletes who love Jesus. Tim Tebow comes to mind. Only to watch God work amazingly as many, if not all, on the football field bent a knee in prayer to God. To God. You see, the Bible tells me that one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. My goal is that you would do it now, not when you're forced in rebellion. Bend the knee, Lord. Lord. So Damar went from death to life. Can I get an amen? amen? And I tell you this story because I believe it illustrates what Paul is wanting to teach us this morning. You see, spiritually speaking, our journey is the same. We go from death to life. That's exactly what we do. And in verses 1 to 10, we discover a classic example how the Apostle Paul wrote on the doctrine of salvation and he establishes a bedrock of truth, the truth that about our salvation and the truth how we are saved and why. This is what he writes about. Now, while these verses don't present everything that we can know on these matters, they do establish a foundation of truth that every one of us needs to understand if you want to grasp the meaning of the word grace. You've got to have that foundation. You've got to have that. Now, I'm going to put a bug in your ear, and then I'm going to go away from it, because I want to bring it up sometime as I allow the Holy Spirit. If you recall watching one of the games, there is a conspiracy theory about DeMar Hamlin coming in with a mask and glasses and hat, and they're saying, that's not him, no, that's him, that's not him. He didn't speak to anybody. He's not really alive. Do you remember that? That's, this, was, this was before he made the video. I want to put that in your ear, because I want you to think about that as we go through the message. Wow, that's not really him. Here's why. See, DeMar carries two phones. This guy only had one. Well, that's not him. Why did if he if he was dead on the field and he's alive? Why didn't he take off? And so there's all these things buzzing through the internet. I want you to put that in there. But let's go back. Let's let's talk about what we learned so we understand what he's saying. 
Chapter 1 opens with a beautiful Jewish-style poem. And the key thought in this chapter is the wealth of blessings we have as Christians. Spiritual blessings that are ours because we're in Christ. Everybody understand that? You go, why? Here's why. Listen, if you don't understand who you are in Christ, you are going to live a miserable life. When I say, if you really understand what Paul is saying, I'm telling you the truth, believe me, your life will never be the same. You see, once it gets in our hearts, we're changed from the inside out. You understand, it's got to start somewhere. It goes in through our ear gate, we, we, we think about it, and once we grasp it, boom! And that's when everything changes. The problem is, is that a lot of times, identity doesn't go from here to here. And that's what we want. We want it to change our lives. If you understand what chapter 1 is saying, you'll, woo, your life will never be the same. You go, well, how so? Well, let me illustrate it like this. If I told you, you were a millionaire. I went up to Adam, because he's sitting over here, and and, and I said, Adam, guess what? You're a millionaire. And he's going to look at me and think, this guy's cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. How, why is he, how could he tell me I'm a millionaire? What would he need? Proof. Show me. Show me I'm a millionaire. Show me I'm a millionaire. Okay? Up until this time, Adam to think and identify as a millionaire. And I'm telling you what, his credit card is still going to get declined. You understand what I'm saying? Now, now Adam specifically, I'm just using him. Don't be like, golly, let's take up collection for Adam. You know what I mean? It's not what I'm saying. Am I saying that, Tiffany? I don't know. Okay, okay. Back to the story. If Adam happened to go to his bank account and he saw that I had transferred a million dollars to his account, guess what's going to happen? It will now move from his mind to his heart. You guys with me? And then he and Tiffany would begin to identify or behave like Come on, say it louder. Millionaires. Exactly. Millionaires, right? You, that's what we do. And the next thing you know, they'll be moving on up, right? They'll, they'll get a bigger house. I mean, we think about that. Come on, church. Tell me I'm not the only one that you ever dream about. Man, if I hit the lottery, oh, what would I do? First, I'd go on vacation for at least a month. And then I'd come back. And you guys know, the, you got, you, you, you've played it all in your mind. And then, and then you come, then reality comes rushing. <laughs> oh, where's my change? I gotta pay for this. And now I want you to think about identity for just a moment. Identity. You see, because we seem to be having an identity crisis in our country. You have a lot of people standing up going, I identify as this, I identify as a cat, I identify as a dog, I identify as whatever, whatever, whatever. We understand that, right, church? The struggle people have is they want to identify as something else, but where is that coming from? It's coming from within themselves and not the person that created them. You see, that's where the breakdown is. I'm identifying as this, but that's within me. I want somebody who has authority to say, this is your identity because I created you. This is who you are. That's the same thing as me transferring a million dollars into Adam's account, and he goes, 
that guy has authority to now create in me my new identity. Come on, somebody, you understand that? Okay? So when you get it, you go, wow. In Christ, the God that created you now identifies you positionally with all of these blessings. And not only that, the same spirit that rose Jesus from the grave lives in you. Lives in you. I am your pastor, and I still struggle with that, to live this victorious, joyful life, because the enemy keeps pulling me, oh, no, it's not true. And it's exactly why he didn't want you to hear this today. But blessed are you that are here today, because he wanted you to hear this message. Paul taught us that the person of the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, has blessed us. He then prays that we might understand the blessings and the power that they can be in our lives. And so last week, oh, it was incredible. Open the eyes of my heart. And Paul understands what he taught us and reminds us, you ready, church, that we need the Lord to help get deep in our hearts. The enemy comes in and says, you identify you're a loser. You're nothing. You've messed up. You're, you go, no, no, no. See, I know who I am. And the devil has no authority over you. God does. And so you go, this is where I'm going to say, I'm going to live in the riches of Christ. But you're a loser. I know. What? Tell me something I don't know. But you've made such bad decisions in your life. I know. You're still making bad decisions. I know. But thank God this is how he sees me. And I can overcome that because the Holy Spirit lives inside me. Inside me. So what does Paul do? Remember last week, he gives us three specific prayers so that we understand. You go, what are they? They were, first of all, he says, he says that the eye, oh, he, he prays this, that the spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge of him. He's saying that the Holy Spirit will give you wisdom and insight so that you might grow in the knowledge of him. Your attention, please, that should always be our prayer. God, in this situation, give me wisdom. Give me wisdom. Because I want to know you more in this situation. I want to know you. I want to see your plan. I need the Spirit. Number two, he says, the eyes of your understanding be enlightened. This is to say the Lord has removed spiritual blindness, giving us ability to comprehend and appreciate the things of the kingdom. Come on, somebody. Open the eyes of my heart. And when life isn't all butterflies and rainbows and roses, God is still glorified because you have, you're watching from the eyes of your heart. You've got in light. Oh, wow. Wow. I want you to think about this. Now, don't raise your hand, but think about how grateful you are that God kept you from something you really wanted. And hindsight, you go, oh, thank God. Thank God. Thank God. Think about it for a second. You see, when I was a young man, I was trying to navigate my life, and I'm thinking, and, and so just like most, most teenagers and young adults, we, we find a girlfriend. Oh, she's the one. Boom, 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 boom. Oh, she's the one. Well, why? I don't know, because nobody else likes me. I mean, she's the one. I love her. And God says, no, 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 no. I have something better for you. 
And then this girl breaks up with you. And I'm like, didn't she know what she had? Hello? (laughs) She broke my heart. But she wasn't the one for me. You see, God says, no, no, no. I'm looking way into your future. I'm going to see where you're going to be in Lubbock, Texas. I'm going to see a group of people. And I know this is the woman for you. But in the, at that time, I'm going, oh, you know? Instead of going, oh, wait, 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 Lord. The eyes, open the eyes of my heart. You have something better. Okay, Lord, I'm going to walk in that. I know it hurts, but I'm going to walk in that. And then the third thing, the hope of his calling. Guys, the hope of his calling, he's praying, that directly connected with our future inheritance. He's given us an eternal home waiting for us in heaven. This is the hope that we can cling to during the trials and, and difficulties in life. I don't know how it ends up, but one of, on, on my page, on, on YouTube page, you know, one of the things that keeps popping up is, is I guess maybe because I looked up DeMar Hamlin, it, it's coming on YouTube, and it says those that have died and, and then came back to life and what they saw. And usually it's a bright light full of peace and joy and and uh, one of them was saying that, man, she got to heaven. She's like, I don't want to go back. I don't want to go. Oh, this is, are you kidding me? She had no recollection what's going on on earth. And she's just like, I'm here. I'm done. This is great. And that's what God says in Christ. This is how it should be. Well, later on, she goes on and says, then she heard her voice and she came back. And now she can tell the story. But the point is, guys, listen, here's what he's saying. Here's what he's saying. The hope of your calling, one day, if the Lord doesn't return, You might go, and you won't breathe another breath in. And things won't go dark. Things will go bright. And you'll be there, and you'll be like, wow. And I don't know how many in heaven are going, man, if I knew it was this good, I would have come here earlier. I'd have been here earlier. Not that we can. So Paul is praying that God would give us spiritual wisdom and insight, listen to this, that you might grow in your experience of God. He wants us to know him by experience. Experience. Oh, it's so wonderful to hear in the book of Acts how they were all in one accord and they were praying and the Holy Spirit came in like a mighty rushing wind and tongues of fire and it was revival time. We'd love to read that, but I don't want to read that. I want to live that. I want to see God move in my life. I want to see God, I want to see marriages healed. I want to see, I want to see the addict, guys, the drug addict set free. I want to see those victorious. You know why? Because I see it in front of me right now. This is what, and, 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 I'll, and I'll explain that in a minute, but this is exactly what I see. That miracle. That miracle. Now, so all of a sudden we have chapter one. This is who you are. I'm chosen. I'm predestined. This is all good. And he says, I want to pray that you open the eyes. And so we don't get prideful. Paul goes, man, I don't want you to get prideful. I don't want you to think that you had something to do with it. I don't want you to think that. And so what he does, he goes, let me pen chapter two, just to be sure. So this morning, we're going to cover 10 verses. They're power packed and uh, for our growth. Now, let me just say this. We could spend literally probably... Six weeks on these 10 verses. You understand how deep it is. But we're moving rather quickly, so we're going to look at verses pretty quickly. But 
jot this down. This is our journey from death to life. Paul reminds the church at Ephesus that their former spiritual state prior to coming to faith in Christ, this is who you were, and this is how it's going to apply to us. Now, jot this down if you're taking notes. Verses 1 to 10 is divided into three sections. You go, what are they? Number one, or where you were before you met Jesus. Where you were before you met Jesus. That's number one. Number two, he's going to discuss our journey to meet Jesus, how this happens. And then at the end, he's going to tell us our journey from death to life. All in these ten verses. All in. You go, what are they again? Where you were before you met Jesus our journey to meet Jesus, and then our journey from death to life. We're going to watch all of this on here. So let's jump into it. Where you were before you met Jesus, verses 1 to 3. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 says, And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins. Now, if you have a pencil handy, first and foremost, I want you to discover the word you. And you... Now, I did some, I did some, I looked it up in the Greek. Let me give you the Greek word. It's humas, H-U-M-A-S. And you go, Ben, what does it mean? You ready? You. There's no other way. It's you. And I was like, wow. What does this mean? It means it's personal. Listen to me. It's personal. He made you individually. He didn't just give a corporate blanket statement. Hey, anybody want to be alive? Come on in. He says, no, no, no. He made He made you. He made us alive. Why? Why? Why would you make someone alive? Because prior to meeting Jesus, you ready? We were dead. We were dead. Now think about Damar on the field. He was dead. They were desperately trying to revive him. Now, what does dead mean? Jot this down. It's separated from God because of sins. Separated from God because of sins. It's a spiritual death. In your mind, go back to Genesis. Adam. You guys remember Adam? Adam and Eve? Yeah. Adam and Eve, there they were. They're having a great time. Everything was perfect. There's Adam and Eve, right? And what happens is that the snake comes to talk to Eve. Now, why she's talking to a snake is beyond me. But nonetheless, you go, yeah, these women talking to snakes. And I say, well, where was Adam? Chasing butterflies? I mean, he should have been right here protecting his wife. But nonetheless, guess what Adam does? He sins. He eats the forbidden fruit. He sins. He sins, guys. He sins. You know, the Bible says that if you eat that, you're going to die. Well, you go, Adam ate, but he didn't die. No, instantly, spiritually, he died. And then began the process of physical death. So now when our kids are born, guess what? The moment they're born, they go, oh, look at this. Oh, look at how cute. He's on the process of death. Do you understand that? Well, that's morbid. That's weird. No, no, it's the same thing. It's true. It's true. Well, how much time do we get? Nobody knows. Some of us get 80 years, 90 years. Some of us get 20 years, 15 years. We don't know. But we're in that process. But right then and there, sin came in. Now listen to me, church. Fractured everything. Fractured lives, fractured the world, fractured everything. You stop talking. We don't need a balloon, I'm just saying. So if man continued in this state, 
by continuing to reject Christ, spiritual death becomes the second death from eternal separation from God. Let me give you a scripture reference you can jot down. Revelation chapter 20 and verse 14 says, Then death and life and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. So if you say, ah, no, 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 pastor, that's good for you. I'm not, gonna, I'm not going to accept Jesus. You are going to be in the second death separated from God for eternity. That's a fact. Now, this is not a build the church sermon. Because nobody wants to hear, if I don't give my life to Jesus, I'm going to end up in hell forever. Nobody wants to hear that. Nobody wants to hear that. Everybody wants to hear how wonderful you are and how you're a victory, victor, and blah, blah, blah. I get that, but this is the word of God, and this is what he says. If a man continues in a state of unrepentance and and, 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 and rejecting God, he becomes the second death eternal separation from God. And see, my job is to go, no, 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 please. Please. Now, let's chat for just a little bit. We're talking about us when we were once dead. I don't know if you knew that. Did you know that you were once dead? It was Skip Heitzig who said, unbelievers are not sick, they're dead. Unquote. I like that. I have to give credit where credit is due. I like that. Unbelievers, guys, are not sick. You're not just sick, you're dead. You're dead. And I have to ask you a question. What does a dead man need? Listen, a dead man doesn't need medicine. A dead man doesn't need a glass of water. You know what they need? They need life. They need life. And it's a life that only God could give. I think of the funeral preparation of a fella and... um, and he asked his friends, they, his friends asked him, what do you want me to say at your funeral? What do you want me to say? What would you, what would your, what would you want me to say when I came up to the casket and tell everybody? And one of them says, hey, look, he's alive. That's what I want you to say. You can say all nice things, but I'd rather you say, look, he's, which reminds me, in, in my search for DeMar Hamlin, you know how they, how they, they there was a lady who's actually suing, uh, she was in a nursing home. I think she was about 90. I don't know if you heard the story. She's about 90. And she stopped breathing. They came in and said, oh, okay. So they called the funeral home. 90 minutes later, they took her to the funeral home. And then she woke up from the <clears throat> breathing. That would be scary, don't you think? They thought she was dead, but she was actually alive. But see... Dead men need life. And you go, what do you mean? Well, here's the thing. If I were to put a person in school, right? If I were to put a sinner in school, then he's going to come out a well-educated sinner. If you were to put a person in church, he's going to come out a religious sinner. But when we put people in Christ... Then he comes out a safe sinner, now who's alive? Okay, so that's what's key. The key is this church and any church should not be about Calvary Chapel, should not be about blue chairs, should not be about religion, should not be about rituals. Come on, somebody. It should be about Jesus. 
And although the illustration might be funny, uh, the sermon might be good, you should leave here knowing Jesus all the more. That's the goal. That's the goal. When you go to lunch after this, you should be talking about Jesus. Wow. Wow. Paul reminds us, guys, that we were born spiritually dead. And this happened when Adam sinned way back in the garden. Now, note with me Romans 5.18. It says, yes, Adam, one sin, brings condemnation to everyone. But Christ, one act, righteousness, brings a right relationship with God and a new life for everyone. So, think about this. When Adam sinned, all of it. But when Jesus came in, that's when we got new life. New life. Now, this is why the Bible calls it born again. Are you, church, listen to me, are you born again? Okay, you go, "Uh, what does that mean? Your spirit is born, you, you have a dead spirit. When you're born again from above, your spirit is alive. And when your spirit becomes alive, it then controls your soul. Your soul is how you think, how you behave, all of the way you, th- all of that information. So all of a sudden now your, your born again spirit is alive, and now it's affecting your soul, and your soul affects your behavior. This is how I behave. That's why Jesus said, you must be born again. More important than go, hey, pastor, I prayed a prayer one day. I said, hey, Jesus, come into my heart. Nothing really changed. You weren't born again. You prayed a prayer. You'll hear me say that words alone aren't sufficient to save. It has to be a work of God's Holy Spirit. You go, yes. Well, how do I know? Ready? Your life would change. Your life would change. Now, I'm not talking about your personality. You understand that. Because Saul was zealous before he got saved. He was radically zealous. And when he got saved, God used his personality to radically change the world. So your personality, if you're loud, or you're an introvert and you sit there quiet, God's going to use that. But your spirit is alive, which changes your thinking and changes your behavior. So instead of going, yeah, there's sin, I'm going, your spirit says, no, 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 we don't do that anymore. And you start to think, yeah, no, i got to change my thinking. I don't even want to go there. I'm done. I'm over here. Women, when you want to strangle your husband, it's the Holy Spirit that stops you. It's in you. Now, if you're an unbeliever, you might strangle your husband. I don't know, but that's... uh... Anyway, moving on. So where were you before you met Jesus? Look at verse 2. In which you once walked according to the course of this world. According to the prince, the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves, how? In the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of our flesh and the mind, we were by nature of wrath just as the others. Okay, so words we need to grasp. He says, guys, listen, this is who you were. You guys, we used to once walk. We, we walked. We once walked. Here's, here's what you need to know. That word walk there? It means to meander, to meander, to browse, to browse, okay? It means you walked through life meandering at all that the world had for you. How many of you know what it's like to meander? Men don't meander. Men go in, get what they need, and walk out. Women meander. Some men meander, I can't say that. 
But Meander is going in, going, oh, look at this. Oh, how nice. Oh, I'm over here. And, and uh, come on, don't leave me alone up here, guys. I, I could feel the women going. But it's true. For the most part, if a guy needs something, right? Go to the gro- what, what do you need? Go, can you stop at the grocery store? Yes, what do you need? I need, I need ketchup. The guy's going to go in straight to the ketchup, get the ketchup, and walk out. Where most women <laughs> will, well, you know, I need ketchup. Oh, well, we could use some eggs. Oh, and yeah, I meander. Oh, Talia says I meander. I don't meander. But that's what it means. That's what we were doing before we met God, guys. We were meandering through all of life's, um, just what the world had. Ooh, a little bit of sin over here? <laughs> that's cool. Oh, well, what's over here? And then he says, and, and then he uses the word, he says, in which you once walked according to the course. The course, the Greek word used here is aion, A-I-O-N, and it refers to the mindset, customs, practices of those who are estranged from God. So you were following what everybody else was doing. Can anybody relate? Think about your BC days, not for long though. But I remember growing up, i got to be honest with you, growing up as a young kid, we used to hear and talk about the world ending. I don't know if you ever did that. The older, general, your, your brothers and sister were older, would, would get together with their friends, and they would talk, well, when the world ends. And I remember thinking, if the world ends, what would I do? And none of it was godly. None of it was godly. Why? Because I was meandering through all that the world had. So let me unpack it a little bit more. You ready? Here's what Paul is saying. You used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the power of the unseen world. This is what you did. He says, you know that spirit that worked in the heart of those who refused to obey God? All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and the inclination of our sinful nature. By our very nature... We were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. Your attention, please. Can I just, uh, can I sidestep this and just say, listen, when you go out to reach those that are far from God, when you go out to, to minister to those who don't know Jesus, remember, they're natural. They're not going to think like you. They're going to they're gonna think differently. And you sit there, you go, well, I live in Lubbock, Texas. I don't understand why people, because they're not like you yet. They haven't been born again. Once they're born again, then you go, oh, oh, so please be patient. Please be patient. When you shine your light in a very dark world, don't be surprised that there's going to be um, awful things in the dark. When you shine your light, there might be mice, cockroaches, bugs, spiders. You understand, that's where they live. You shine, here comes the light. And, and, and Christians go, oh, oh, oh. No, we go, that's exactly what I expected. Because I used to live there too. That's, this is what Paul said. You used to live there. Well, I did not. My mama had me at church. I was born on the pew. I was, I was born a Christian, Francis. Are you kidding me? No, no, no. This is who you were. This is who you were. Why? But listen to what Isaiah says. 
Let's listen to what Isaiah says. Isaiah 53, 6, jot this down. He says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of all. Listen to what it says. Every one of us has gone astray. Even if you were born on the pew, guess what? You've gone astray. You've turned. That's who you are by nature. Where we were before we met Jesus, living in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying evil, refusing to obey God, and following our fleshly desires. Can I get an amen on that? And then we have the most beautiful two words we've ever heard. You ready? But God. But God. Look at verse 4, guys. But God. So we know where we were, and now... We get our journey to meet Jesus. We're walking to God. How so? Well, verse 4 says, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love, which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you have been saved. And he raised up together and made us sit in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, okay? Guys, this is so cool. Love, I love this transitional verse. How? Because he's like, this is who you were, but God. But God. You guys know how powerful the word but is, right? If you say, I'm going to use Francis because he's like, Francis, you dress so good, but I've taken away all the positive, haven't I? I've taken away everything that, that just negates that. Now, if, if I don't want to hurt Francis's feelings, I say, now, Francis, you dress good. Also, you could use blah, 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 blah. So the word also, or and, you guys, you guys with me. So he's taken away the negative by using the word, but, but God. You were like this, but God. But God, I like what James Montgomery Boyce says, and I quote, if we understand these two words, it will save our soul, end quote. But God, but God. So our basic nature has been affected by sin. Paul says we were children of wrath. And again, this is difficult to translate because it means we were deserving of wrath until we come to verse 4. Verse 4, but God. Everyone who is a believer has a but God testimony. Every one of us, you understand that. Our lives before we met Jesus, our journey to meet Jesus, we have a but God. You see, I was 16 years old, and I was exactly what Paul said. I wasn't obeying God. I was refusing to obey God. And then when I turned 17 and I heard the gospel, then it was a but God. But God. He changed my life at 17. He's, he's got me on a course, a trajectory, and, and, and you do too, church. You do too. We need to write a song that says, but God. But God. What about God? Well, he's rich in mercy. He's rich in mercy. God's abundant mercy, which characterizes him throughout the whole Bible, his mercy it's actually epitomized by his willingness not to punish those deserving of wrath. But instead, looks at you and says, I'm going to save you. You know what you deserve? You deserve wrath. 
you're children of wrath. You were, he goes, it's, God, do you get this? This is why the Bible calls you living stones. This is why the Bible calls you living stones. Why? Because of his great mercy. And then he says, and his great love, perfect love for his creation. Perfect love. I love these two words. What other two words? Well, again, notice what it says. Verse 5. Even when. Even when. Do you guys see that in your Bible? Even when. We were dead men walking. We were the land of the walking dead. You understand that? Even when that was going down, he made us alive together. That word alive together, he he quickened us. He quickened us. He quickened us. Time to wake up. Let's go. He quickened us. That's what it's, it's so cool. Here's why. I heard a guy on the radio the other day. He was an amazing preacher. I'm telling you, he, it was it was so good. I was taking notes. And this guy said, "Have you ever gone fishing and caught a fish that was already cleaned?" And then they were, "No, we haven't. We know you you catch them, they fight, and you clean them and you eat them." Right? And I don't know, I think it was in Christ Radio or something like that. It's a great preacher. But think about this. Even when you were that fish fighting, pulling, not wanting to be caught, even when you were walking in the course of the world, God says, I still love you. Amen. I love you. And my mercy. And I mean, it's such a great love. Here, here's the difference. You ready? How can you sleep tonight? How can you sleep with peace? Because you're not that anymore. How much more does he love you? There's no wrath. You're not, a, you're not deserving of wrath anymore. He, he sees you in Christ. You see, that's what the enemy wants to rip you off from. He wants you to create doubt. Well, Lord, I'm not sure if my behavior, I'm not sure if I do this or do that. And again, think about what he's saying. This is so deep, guys. This is so deep. Because again, even when we were dead men walking, he bestowed his grace and his mercy. And that alone should help you sleep with such great peace. Such great peace. Notice verse 6 with me. And he raised us up together. He made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, I want you to think about this, okay? The, the Bible says that he made us alive. You can write next to that, born again. You can put saved. He made us alive. We're saved. We're saved. We're now alive. We're now alive. I don't know if you realize this. You're alive. You're alive. Let me just say it like this. You've heard this. This is commonplace and cliche. But if you're born once, you'll die twice. If you're born twice, you'll only die once. Your physical body will go in the ground. Your physical body. But the person that makes you, you, your thoughts, your spirit, is going to live forever. I love that. So he made us alive. The Bible says he raised us up. You can write next to this, the resurrection. And your mind should automatically go to First, first Thessalonians, the rapture. Okay, The dead in Christ shall rise first. We who are alive and remain shall be caught up. So you're like, okay, so first I'm saved, and then I'm going to be resurrected. And then it says, then he made us sit together in heavenly places. You know what that is? That's glorification. Now we're in heaven. We're in heaven. Listen to me. If you remember nothing from the sermon, remember one day this whole world's going to change and you're going to be glorified and you're going to be serving 
with Christ, and it's going to be so different. And you're going to be like, wow. Who is that, who is that pastor on 42nd? I don't remember that, but this is so cool. Because all of this is because of what Jesus did. This is our position in Christ. Now, spiritually speaking, this is how he sees us. But I'm telling you, one day this is going to become a reality. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Have you ever made an appointment with the doctor a couple of months out? Though you'll call them up and you say, hey, I need an appointment. You know, my left leg's falling off or whatever. And they'll say, well, we don't have any appointments. We can't see you until March or, June or April. You know, <laughs> amen. And you have an appointment. It's in the books. And every day you look at the calendar and go, okay, now I've got I've to what? I've got to work around this because I have an appointment on this day. This is my appointment. Every one of us has an appointment that we should be looking forward to. We're not trying to get out of it. We're not trying to, you know, call in sick from that. It's a, it's a great appointment. And what does he say? He says, he's here alive already, so you should be looking for that. He's going to raise you up, and it's going to be glorious. And it's going to be glorious. God did this because he's rich in mercy and great love. Mercy means that God did not give to me what I do deserve. He says, you deserve wrath. God says, I'm not going to give it. But grace means that he gives me what I don't deserve. That is amazing. So what should I do? Well, look at verse 7. In that, Paul writes, in the ages to come, he might show his exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. You know what that means? It means you and I are an eternal display of the grace of God. Of the gra- You're an eternal display. How are we going to win Lubbock, Texas to Jesus? We have to walk in the truth of Ephesians. Because you're that eternal display. You know who I once was? That's not me anymore, praise God. Oh, I'm not offended by you. I realize that you're still walking. You're still a dead man walking. But let me tell you, I've got good news. I've got good news. Jesus can change everything. Guys, this is so cool. You're the, you and I are the eternal display. Hey, 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 hey. Look at, look at my, look at this. And the enemy goes up there and he says, hey, you see what he did? You see what Jeremiah did? You see what Abel did? Oh, man. And God goes, you know what? I see Jesus. I don't know what you're talking about, dude. Get out. How many, how many of that sets you free? It sets us free, guys. It sets us free. Why? Because this is how God sees me. And I'm not resting on how I see myself or my abilities or my, my behaviors. I'm not resting about what I've done or what I haven't done. Lord Jesus, I hope to go to, I hope to, go to heaven because I pastored that church in Lubbock. And you know those people, Lord. <laughs> you know them. See this white hair, God? It was them. The Lord's like, that doesn't count, dude. I'm not pastoring because I want to go to heaven. I'm already going to heaven. I'm pastoring because I love you. And I want to see as many people come to see to Jesus. To Jesus. Let me give it to you in context. You ready? Even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life which raised Christ from the dead. 
It's, it is his only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we were united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to all of us as the, the future ages as examples of incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us as shown in all he's done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. Great context, great context. Well, what do we do now? Well, now in verses 8 to 10, he shares our journey from death to life. Okay, in your mind, Damar Hamlin. Damar Hamlin, you understand that, okay? Now, remember I put that little bug in your little bug? How, how, oh, that's not him. He's got two phones. No, he doesn't have two phones. He's wearing a mask. Why wouldn't he come out? Because that's what the enemy does to you. The enemy comes and says, he's not real. You're not really alive. You never, you really never gave your life to the Lord. You're never really serving Him. It's a farce. It's a fake. It's fake news and all this stuff. See, that's what the enemy does. It's conspiracy stuff that you're just like, no, don't listen. Why? Because DeMar Hamlin stood up. He gave an interview. He said, this is who I am. I'm alive. I'm fully alive. Look. Now, again, I don't know what's going on in the inside of DeMar. This is a physical thing, but spiritually, nobody can take that away if you're in Christ. Nobody. So stop listening to those voices that tell you that you're not alive or you're not, you're not going to get any better or anything else. That's what he's saying. So what should we do? Well, here's our journey. Look at verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Here, Paul lays out God's plan for salvation. You guys ready? We're saved through faith. How are we saved? How are we saved? Exactly. He says, none of us helped ourselves. You see, there's not going to be a section in heaven of, hey, you made it by faith, and you helped God a little bit, and you really helped God, and you were really sorry. Oh, yeah, I'm sitting over here. He says, lest anyone should boast. Can you imagine getting to heaven? Yep, you know what? I did this, and I did this. I was a missionary, and I gave millions of dollars. That's why I'm here. (laughs) No, that's not what salvation is. There's no way you and I should walk so proud because God says this, you're saved. It's by grace and through faith. It's not of yourselves. Not of yourselves. It's a gift. It's a gift. Not of works. Nobody's going to boast. Nobody's going to boast. Now, if you have a pencil handy, I want you to save that word, circle that word faith. Because he says, for grace you have been saved through faith. Why is that important? Because it's the same word that, that, that many employ, the word believe. John employs that word believe. It's made up of two words, of two Greek words. It's uh, pistis and pithio. Okay? We, we get the word believe. Believe. Okay? But it means persuaded. Okay? Persuaded to have reliance upon Christ for salvation. That's the first word. And then the second word is to be convinced with confidence. So what he's saying, it's for by grace you have been saved through being persuaded, having reliance on Christ, and being convinced with confidence. That's what that means. That's what it means. You go, listen, how am I saved? I believe in Jesus. I put my faith and trust in him completely. I, 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 my reliance, okay? So the enemy comes in and he says, hey, Ben, 
Hey, Ben, what gives you the right to go to heaven? You go, I have no rights to go to heaven, but I put my faith in Christ, and that's my ticket to heaven. You see? And then, but Ben, wait a minute, you seem pretty confident. Absolutely, because that's what faith does. It gives me the confidence to go. Church, do you have that confidence that when you take your final breath, you're going to go be with him? Do you have that? Or are you crossing your toes and your, and, and, and your fingers and hoping and praying? And I don't want to be there at the end going, oh, Lord, please, 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 I'm sorry, I'm sorry, God, please, please, please. I don't want to be that. I'll never forget the fact that, that at one time I used to have high anxiety to fly. I never liked to fly. I used to have high anxiety. And uh, I remember just a little trip from Albuquerque to Dallas. Oh, getting on the airplane used to stress. I mean, I was literally stressed out. You, don't, you understand, okay? Little beads of sweat. And then, and then I'd, get, I'd get over there because I had to go to work, and, and I'd, I'd get in there all of a sudden. And, and man, I'm telling you what, I'd be confessing sins I didn't even do. Because I wanted to make sure if this plane went down that I was going to heaven. You understand that? And then I noticed that an unbeliever was one of my coworkers. An unbeliever was with me, and he's sitting there as calm as can be. And I'm like, and the Lord spoke to me, and he said, look, he doesn't have the assurance of heaven like you do, and you're a wreck. And he's not. And that's where I realized I needed the Holy Spirit to help me. And, and again, guys, do you have that? See, it's not of yourselves. The, the salvation is a gift of God, and it's not of works. Now, here's the thing with works, guys. It re, this may refer to the Jewish law or specific uh, components of the law. He says, no, you can't keep the law. And it also means, guys, it, it, it can be related to the Jewish ethnic identity of circumcision, food law, Sabbath, and everybody's keeping that. The idea of works might also include actions motivated by a desire to earn favor or right standing with God. So now you have both. The works goes, oh, I've kept the law. I've kept, I haven't broke the Ten Commandments. I don't steal. I don't chew. I don't go with girls who do. You understand that? Or I'm trying to work my way to salvation and hoping that God looks down and goes, oh, mira, mijito, come on. That's Spanish for my my beloved. He goes, none of that. He says, it's not by that works. It's not by that works. He says, you're saved by who? Because of who he is. You're changed by who he is. And if you understand that you're living stones and you grasp that, a natural birth is going to be, our church is going to be catapulted into Lubbock, Texas to reach those that are far from God. How do we do it? Well, healthy sheep beget healthy sheep. You go, I know who I am. I need to share this with somebody. And, and it won't be, well, I've never witnessed, Pastor. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. You're naturally going to be just like, wow, let me just tell you about my Jesus. Let me tell you where I was. Let me tell you what had happened. Let me tell you what happened. Now, the work part. Ready? He says, for we are his workmanship. Circle that word, guys. Circle that word. We are his workmanship. Why is that important? Because we were created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The word in the Greek is poinema. 
It's where we get our English word poem. In other words, God looks down and says, after all of this, I know who you were. You once were disobedient. You, you guys are liars and you followed and you meandered the way of the world. But he says, but in Christ, you're my poem. My, my beautiful poem. That's, you're my poem. Did you ever think you were a poem? You're a poem. You're a poem. Poems are sweet. They're beautiful. They touch the soul. That's what you do. How many of you receive that? Receive that. You're a poem. You're beautiful. In Christ, that's who you are. Please don't identify with your past and your behavior if this is who you are. Jesus says, if you're in Christ, you are his poem, beautifully written on his heart. And then he says, and by the way, I've created you for good works. I've created for you good works. And, and I've created them beforehand that you should walk in them. You should walk in them. So what did God do? He says, listen, you're not saved by good works. I've created you for good works. You realize that somehow we have twisted church. You go, what do you mean? The Bible says that you guys are the ministers. Wait, What? Nobody, I'm not, I'm not a minister. No, no, no. It says that I, in my job is to equip you to do the work of the ministry. I teach you, but then you go and be his poems and walk in the, the works that he's given you. Come on, somebody. Walk in the works he's given you. Now, let me just say this to you. He's given you gifts and abilities, and you're his special poem. Quit trying to get in somebody else's poem. Well, I, I, I like that. I'm, I'm going to come. Listen, you go, what do you mean? Stay in your lane. Stay in the lane that God has given you. You're going to do more for the body of Christ being blossomed in the lane that God has given you than trying to find somebody else's lane. Aren't we like that, church? Right? We're, we're driving in our lane and we're like, I wonder what they're doing in their lane. You know what happens when we look at somebody else's lane? We crash in ours. Stay in your lane because you're a beautiful poem that God goes, here's your lane. How, how do you know? Well, think about what he said. He said, which God prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. Walk in them. Walk in them? Yeah. How cool is that? That you're going to browse and meander in the works that God has given you. Men, you don't have to go in and get the ketchup and come straight out. When it comes to God's word and your giftings and your ability and your lane, take your time. Meander. Enjoy. 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 I like what Solomon tells us. He admonishes us. Guys, he says, enjoy life. Why are we always so upset and full of drama and and anxiousness and all that? Why? Why? Because we forget Ephesians 1 and 2. We forget what God has done in our lives. We forget. We're his poem. How cool is that? Tomorrow when you go to work, go to somebody and say, guess what? I'm his poem. Well, you're self-centered. No, I'm just what the Bible says. I'm his poem. I'm his poem. I'm his, not only am I his poem, but he has a wonderful plan for my life. He has a wonderful plan. 
Are you seeking his plan for your life? Are you following his plan for your life? Don't strive, just seek. As we close our Bible study, like I told you, um, man, we could have spent months on this, but, but think about this. Damar, he went from death to life on a field on a Monday night. You have gone from death to life today. Verses 1 to 10 gives us the full gospel. And he tells us who we were, who we are, and who we will become in Christ. And how he's given us a wonderful plan for our lives. Now, remember, the focus is to understand who we really are in Christ so we could reach those that are far from him. That's the focus. You've got to grasp it in your spirit. Spiritually speaking, you're, you're Brazilianaires. You go, what's, what's a Brazilianaire? It's more than a, that's more than a millionaire or a billionaire. I just made that up. That's pretty cool. I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward. We're going to pray. As we take communion, guys, I want to give you an invitation, first and foremost, before we partake. You see, the Bible says this. Listen to me. The Bible says that not to take this in an unworthy manner. And you go, what's an unworthy manner? Well, maybe you're here today and, and you're saying, Pastor, you were saying some things. And, you, and, and honestly, I feel like I'm far from God. I feel like I don't have a relationship with God. I feel like you were saying, oh my gosh, I'm not in Christ. I don't have all those. I feel like exactly what you said. I'm meandering through the world and I'm, listen, you may feel like that, but you're one decision away from coming to him today. You see, it's the work of the Holy Spirit to open your heart. And so in a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity. As a matter of fact, before we pass these out, Mike, I'm going to give them an opportunity because I don't want you to take it unless you're right with God. So with every eye closed right now, hold on just a second, guys. Every eye closed and every head bowed. Is there anyone here that said, Pastor, pray for me? I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to open up my heart. If you've already done that, amen. But if you haven't and you're here today, just lift up your hand and I want to pray for you. Pray for you real quick. If you're not right with God, just lift up your hand. This is more important. Don't take this in an unworthy manner. Okay, go ahead, brother. When you get the elements, will you hold them in your hand? Because this is a very serious and wonderful celebration. First and foremost, the Bible tells us that we must not partake in an unworthy manner. So make sure you're saved this morning. Make sure you're saved. If you've offended somebody... Just ask the Lord to forgive you right before you take communion. Say, Lord, I'm so sorry. I had a bad attitude coming to church this morning or last night or whatever it might be. Lord, I want to search my heart and make sure there's no root of bitterness. It's very serious, Lord. But it's also a celebration. When we take communion, we're declaring the death, burial, and resurrection from death to life of Jesus. And that's what saves us. So what do we do? We celebrate the gospel. We celebrate the gospel. So what should we do? 
Let's look deep within our hearts and confess our sins. Lord, I'm celebrating this. Then take a moment to look back and thank the Lord for all He's done in your lives. And then we're going to look forward for all that God is doing and that one day we'll get to do communion in heaven. Take a minute as the elements are being passed out just to meditate, just to pray, just to seek God. Thank Him for a beautiful day. Thank Him for, thank him for just the, the Word of God that you, He chose you and He took us from being dead to life, to heaven, to eternity. If you're here this morning and you feel like you need to recommit your life to Jesus, you can do that too. You could just tell him, Lord, I'm sorry. I've been acting like a dead guy when clearly I'm alive. Would you please forgive me? Would you come into my heart? Would you just restore the joy of my salvation? I'm going to follow you. Lord, I don't want to worry if I go to bed at night, am I going to go to heaven or not. I just, I just, want, to, I just want to be found in Christ. And by the authority of Scripture, the Holy Spirit will come inside you, clean you all up, set you on the right path. Father, forgive us, God, when we have aggressively tried to eliminate you from every aspect of our lives. Help Calvary Chapel Lubbock, help Christians around the world be a light in the weeks and months and years to come. Help us pray for the people in Israel that they would see the light. Help us go across the street to our neighbors and share the good news. Help us give of our resources. To bless those. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he instituted communion. And he looked at his disciples and, and he said, Take this, all of you, this is my body, which is going to be broken for you. I'm going to hang on a cross and, and they're, going to, they're going to stab me and nail my hands and feet and 
This is my body that's broken for you. Thank you, Lord, for dying on the cross for us. Thank you for your great love, Lord. Even when we were dead, you loved us. This is the body of Christ. Let's take it together in Jesus' name. Amen. When supper was ended, he took the cup and he said, Take this. Do this as remembrance of me. This is my blood that's shed for the remission of sins. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's take the cup. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. Let's worship. We hope you enjoyed today's message. We'd love to hear from you and see you in person at the church. You can find our contact information, location, and even give a donation at calvarychapellubbock.church. We'll see you next time on the podcast. Until then, may God bless you and your family.